welcome to the Science Podcast with me, Mr. Short, and Mr. Atkinson. Hello, folks. So, we were looking at things that are kind of uh, unsolved or perhaps not explained to the full extent in science, and we covered um, curling stones curling and which way they go, uh, bikes and how they stay upright, and um, sleep. We, we touched on sleep. Uh, why we don't really know why we sleep and what happens during sleep, but we know it's important. So this time we are, we've got some other things, so we'll start off uh, with gravity. <laughs> <laughs> so, gravity, uh, would you want to start with gravity? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the thing that gets me, so it depends on who you're talking to, I suppose. It always makes me kind of smile when you hear people talking about forces and they talk about gravity being a force. Gravity itself is not a force. However, we do talk about the force due to gravity, which is your weight. Uh, Gravity itself is a field, and inside this field, any mass will experience a force, which is why we talk about it being a a force, quote-unquote. Yes, it's it's easy enough to say that gravity is a force without being too picky about it, but yes. You only ex- the force is the weight is the force. Otherwise, you have mass. That's right. Yes, um, and basically anything with mass will attract another body with mass. Yeah, mass. Yep. Everything is attracted to everything. It's just that I mean, obviously, two people walking down the street are, are attracted to each other by gravity. Yep. But it's so weak they're not pulled to each other. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> and obviously you have to appreciate that whilst these two people are attracted to one another, they're also both attracted to the Earth. Yeah. And because the Earth has so much more mass, the net net result is that you're going to be way more attracted to the Earth than you would be to the other person. Yes. But it's kind of nice. But even if we had these two people, these two hypothetical people in the middle of space, light years from any other planets... Yep. And they're just floating in space, just beside one another, would they move towards each other? They are attracted to gravity. But is the force enough to make them move towards each other? If that was the only force acting, yes it would. <laughs> it would. Yeah. That's quite weird, isn't it? When well, you think about it. remove all other forces. That's it. And you can work, how can you work out that force? So this was actually done... Uh, oh no, what was the guy's name? It was done in Scotland actually. There's a, oh yeah, that's a right. Uh, Shahalim, yes, and uh, essentially it's a very uniform shape, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, and that there's no other peaks around. It is the most massive object yes, in that it's area near Pitlochry. So what they did was uh, they took a pendulum. Essentially, right. they knew the distance between the pendulum and the mountain. They hung it. And then they could measure the deflection. That's absolutely mental, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> they could measure the deflection in the pendulum, so how much it swung towards the mountain, yeah. measure the angle, and from there you get your resultant forces. You can then calculate the force of attraction between yeah. the two. And they use that to measure the mass of the Earth. Mass of the Earth, uh, and because the Earth is roughly spherical, you could then work out the density of the Earth yes. and all sorts. But yeah, essentially the mass of the Earth. Do you remember how long... I, 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 in my head, I have it like he was making measurements for a year or something. It wasn't oh, like he was, went up in one day and made a couple of measurements. No, it's it got to be done, yeah. Any, any objects... There was another one, the Cavendish experiment. Yeah. And that was also, I believe, to work out the mass of the Earth. Uh, but that was done over weeks. Yes. Yeah. Because so, the, angle, the, the, the changes any one day are so small, so you've got to wait quite a large period of time. 
Okay, so we, I mean, some forces we can explain. Like we, we kind of got the hang of positive negative attraction. Yeah. And we don't really explain why that happens, but we know that positives attract a negative. Yeah. Or magnets. We've got a similar thing where North Pole attracts a South Pole. But why? But yeah. <laughs> but in terms of mass, we haven't got any opposites. So yes, it's not the... We do. Okay, there we go. We have antimatter. <laughs> no. We have matter and we do have... We have matter and antimatter. Uh, but you have... I mean, it's, it's been detected. It has been detected. But in terms of gravity, if we're looking at a planet and a person, obviously yeah. stuck to the planet or held, attracted by the planet, we haven't got matter and antimatter there. We haven't got somebody who's antimatter and... Well, the, this is this is the cut. This is it's, it's cutting edge. This is what they're trying to figure out right now. Is that they do exist in pairs, and there's even like there's dark right. matter and dark energy. We know nothing about dark energy. We might as well call it dark Falkirk highs. It's it means absolutely. It's just a totally. So our explanation of gravity goes way beyond our school courses in some oh, ways. Okay. What we can ex- yeah. what we can explain. We know that masses attract each other. And, well, I don't know why. In terms of, like, at a higher level, you talk about the fundamental forces, there are four. And you look at force-mediating particles, so how is a a force physically transferred from one particle to another? Well, let's go to... Transferred from one particle to another, yeah. like a force. Trans- so that there is a force mediating particle in between, and there's one for each of the fundamental forces. So for gravity, for example, the gravitational force, that force mediating particle is a graviton. Right, but how would that transfer to another particle? Or do you just mean it attracts the other particle? Well, this no, it's is transferred. It. This is it, yeah. Oh, like energy is transferred, like you take a ball up and drop it, it goes from potential to kinetic. Best way to imagine, think of this, right? Imagine two people on an ice rink wearing ice skates and they've got a ball and they throw yeah, that yeah. ball towards one another. Yes. That ball is the force mediating particle that transfers the energy physically from one object to another. But in terms of... So, but how does that work in gravity? <laughs> so there is a force mediating particle associated with the gravitational force. It's called the graviton. Yeah, but surely that exists on one body, so to speak. And then the other one has another force mediating particle, and they're attracted to each other. It's the same one. The oh, only I see. Right, only yes. Okay. One force. So for the you now you're just making stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds that way, doesn't it? But this is the thing. Like, this is, for the gravitational force, it's the graviton. For the electrostatic force, it's the photon. Yes. Um, and then you've got the W and Z bosons for your nuclear forces. The strong. Is the electrostatic the photon? Yeah. All right. Yeah, because a photon is an, is, is an electromagnetic wave. All right. That's what the photon is. Well, it's I, I think we might have muddied the waters with gravity there. It yeah. seems simple. <laughs> um, okay, so um, we've got gravity, and we've touched on magnetism and electrostatics. Uh, complicated stuff. Um, let's move on to... Well, let's go with migration and animals, because that's probably linked to gravity and the magnetic pull Abs- of the Earth. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, animals, my, various animals migrate. Most, let's talk about birds, because birds migrate, and we've got uh, pigeons, homing pigeons can find their way back. So, 
how, how do they do it? Because we all get lost if we go if we go out and we drop somewhere, well, we won't know where we are. We don't. Yeah, we can't sense that magnetic field. You know, we just we we could we, head generally north. We could work out where the sun is yeah. and go north or south, perhaps east or west. We could use the compass that way in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but birds do it by magnetic. Yes, they magnetic do it field, much more it? precisely, I think. Because there was a th- so there's a thing called the magnetic moment of Earth, which is essentially Earth is one giant big magnet. Mm. But due to motion in the core, just like if you add a, 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 an iron core to an electromagnet yeah. and you increase the strength, you can manipulate the, the field lines of Earth. So at the moment, the North Pole is actually the magnetic South, and the South Pole is the magnetic North. It's it flipped, flipped, flipped every 10,000 years or something? could pass. Right, but yeah. I know that it is due, quote-unquote, to happen pretty soon. And that's the thing is, how does that affect birds when they migrate? Because do they go in the wrong direction? Do they get a conflict of, well, I know I should be going this way, but my senses tell me to go the opposite way? I guess there must be some sort of temperature change as well that they're looking for. Yeah. But that could be, if you're starting at the equator, Generally you could be going or north or south, couldn't you? <laughs> if, if you're, uh, and you either... wouldn't be able to tell one from the other, so but... maybe they'd get there, but... If you're at either pole, then you're going to head warmer. You're going to head to the equator, which might be okay. But yeah. and if you were at the, if you were at the equator and you went towards the cold, you could go north or south. So how, I mean, as scientists, how do we test what birds, how birds navigate? But it's difficult, isn't it? You've missed a camera here. <laughs> yeah. I suppose you can make birds fly in various magnetic fields or something, or. So we can't really change. disrupt pigeons by creating a magnetic field, or mm-hmm. I don't know. We can do that. Obviously, we can. Like, any current carrying wire has a magnetic field. Can you disrupt a magnetic field like you can, like with a Faraday cage? Uh, you can manipulate its influence on other objects, but in terms of permanently, ch- like for example, you'll never be once the Earth's. The, so the Earth's magnetic field lines are what they are, and their directions are what they are. We can't really do anything to change that. No, we can't we really make a bird fly in a metal helmet or something to stop it. We take for It's interesting. Which brings me on to so we've got iron at the core of the Earth, and the Earth is spinning, and we've got a magnetic field. Yeah. Why does the Earth spin? So essentially, it's conservation of momentum. Is the, I mean, there's, there's obviously more complex than we can discuss, but. The basic essence of it, if you imagine at time zero when all particles are gravitating towards one another, as they do so, they don't just move towards one another and stop. So they, they kind of they approach one another, they don't necessarily hit head on, but with time they just kind of start to rotate around one another. Yeah. And then as more and more particles gather with time, it just starts Earth has been rotating since it's Creation since the Big Bang, since the, the gravitational field pulled it together. Exactly. So with no gravity, we've got no Earth. So and without <coughs> gravity, you've got no no gravitons form, forming in any way. Yeah? Right. So the Earth has been rotating since time zero, since yeah. it started to form. Oof. Right. So maybe a topic for another day. I know, but then other planets rotate the other way, don't they? Venus. Venus yeah, is Venus. very unusual. <coughs> Venus is very unusual for a lot of ways. It rotates in the opposite direction. It moves around the sun in a different axis. 
and a day on Venus takes longer mm -hmm. than a year, by definition of what these terms mean. Yeah, which kind of, because we can think of eddy currents in the wind, like bits of yeah. calm areas where, and we can also think of bits where we have reverse flow of the wind perhaps in yeah. certain pockets. So you might be thinking that after the Big Bang, you've got this coalescence of particles to make the Earth, and we've got the spinning. So you'd think that all particles would be the same way. So you think of a little eddy current forming Venus, but there can't be anything in space. Well, see, that's one of the... Is that gravity ever to eddy current? That's so. one of the things about string theory, is that the idea is, at time zero, you've got multiple forces. Not all of them are the same magnitude in terms of their strength. So maybe they were at the start. Maybe... Ma the magnitude of how strong they are has changed depending on the field and the dimensions through which they travel. So, for example, you could hold a magnet above another magnet and it will overcome that gravitational force and be attracted yeah. because they're not as, as strong as, as each other. In fact, gravity is the weakest of the four yeah, by far. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And, uh, but maybe it turns... But on such a large scale, planetary scale, it starts yeah. to have more effect. Exactly. So maybe that's... Or a black hole scale. Maybe there's more. You know, maybe there's more. And there's undoubtedly more... Because black holes are gravity due. They are. And they can attract light. So the, the gravitational pull, if you like, of a black hole is so large that what we call the escape velocity, and you can calculate yeah. this um, just with the masses involved, uh, you can calculate the escape velocity of any object, any planet, but the, the escape velocity of a black hole is greater than the speed of light. So nothing can escape. I actually shared an article on that on Twitter. I saw you like that, as did Emma. Shout out yeah. to her. Because uh, that was basically the contents of that article. That's what it was talking yeah. about. And the idea of being able to send and receive information from the inside of a black hole, which you can't do, mm -hmm. beyond what's called the, the event horizon. Yeah. But we're digressing a lot. Yeah, no, well, not really. It's all gravity, isn't it? It is. Uh, so, joined by Mr. Carter. He's gravitated towards us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're just talking about birds of migration and how birds migrate. So, I don't know if you, you can add anything to our uh, ignorance. Um, you talked about magnet, magnets. Yeah. Well, 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 in terms of, yeah, pigeons, carrier pigeons, homing pigeons can find their way back largely due to Earth's gravity. And then they navigate... By, by that way, and birds that migrate will use magnetic field lines, we think, to find their way to warmer climates or the colder climates. Uh, there seems to be something inside for uh, genetics as well, like hereditary migration patterns, because you can find birds will follow the same migration patterns regardless of what the continents look like. We were just talking about the magnetic poles changing and whether that will affect the birds, but maybe if it's just like habit, they know they, from passed on epigenetics, I guess, they know where to go. There are, I, I would say it probably does depend on the bird species. I know there's lots mm. of people that follow birds, eh, eh, popular among Twitchers, and Dang. people that really do like enjoy their bird watching and bird sing. But bird species uh, can vary based on the, well, the species and their own migratory needs, if they need to migrate. Because some birds, not all birds are migratory, some birds live yeah. local, and they do spread and they can colonise different areas depending on climate. There are so many factors to consider that uh, it does get a little bit crazy trying to think about it all. Do you know, just talk about hereditary things and passing on information. Uh, this is years ago I was reading this, in that cattle grids stop cows going out of the field because yeah. they can't, obviously, they can't walk on it, the feet will get trapped, so they don't do it. So I think they tried to take the cattle grid away and just painted lines on the road. 
to make it look like yeah. a cattle grid. And the cows, I think what I was reading at the time was that they thought it was a cattle grid and they knew not to go over it, yeah. so they never went over it. Well, have you ever seen those street artists that draw what looks like a huge big crater? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That looks pretty convincing, so... <laughs> We're on the mentality of a cow. Yeah, just employ them. <laughs> just employ those tactics. Get something to paint at the edge of a farm, then you're good. <laughs> So I, I don't know if it's been tried where you remove all cattle grids and no cow will go across it, but then I'm sure after a while the cow will work it out and yeah, <laughs> maybe that's nonsense. I should have a look. <laughs> there, there is something to be said for learning. I know when we're talking about uh, elephants, so there's the Elephant National Park, which is in Africa. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's entirely called, but it's a national park. I do. The larger one, big massive. Oh, I don't know. We, yes, there's one in yeah. South Africa called Adu. Yeah, um, it's got, they've got thousands of elephants. Like, uh, like well, there, sorry, I think they're in the hundreds of elephants, but there is a problem with the amount, sheer amount of elephants they have. But back in the early days, 1910, roughly when the park was getting established, uh, they used to um, have to chain the elephants, so try and train some of the elephants, the ones that were being harvested for this park. And they used to have these big chains on the baby elephants. So they have big chains around little necks. Uh, and the elephants would struggle to fight with them. But then because the, the elephants grew up with these chains, they would eventually replace it with a small piece of rope because the elephant gets in its head that, well, it can't escape the chain, so it doesn't matter. Mm. So that perspective is learned. And obviously it's not exactly a really great thing, but it is, I like uh, No, it does say that we get into habits yeah. that we should perhaps change at some time. We just get used to things. We don't think we can change them, but actually... A fresh perspective means you, you, you probably could change something for our everyday lives, perhaps. So the rule of three, like three weeks to create a habit and three right. days to break one, or is it the other way around? Uh, it, it can take months to break habits. Yeah, yeah. It, but you can form a habit. You can form a habit in three weeks. Three, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And maybe what, three so years to break, perhaps? Maybe it's up. It does yeah, take maybe a to shake things. Yeah. Or is it months? Habits. Three months, maybe. Three three weeks to create mm. a habit and three months to break it, or something. <laughs> it depends on the habit and yeah. how, how often it's repeated, I yeah. suppose. But yeah, it does I don't take that as God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's quite extensive. We've got from <laughs> gravity uh, through to migration, so we'll finish up with life. <laughs> how did, I mean, life's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because we can probably simply start by saying that uh, amino acids forming, uh, nucleic acids. Uh, a membrane is the most important thing. So a membrane being formed. We're allowing things in and out of a cell. So a simple cell being formed, and that cell comes together to form multiple cells. But it does sound like a bit of a fantastic story, doesn't it? Well, it's a, kind of, it's a world of its own, isn't it, the cell? Yeah. You know, there's yeah. so many things going on with it, uh, within it that you can't see because it's just so small. And we know that cells uh, can change very quickly yeah. based on, uh, on generations. And on other, like... Factors that they can sense, right? Before. Yeah, um, I mean, there's lots of ways that se cells sense their environment, and you know, cells way, way back, once upon a time, 2.3 billion years ago, thereabouts. These, if you go back, what we don't think about and what we don't appreciate, we are based on unicellular life that comes right. from way back then. So, you know, your, pro your original prokaryotes and your bacteria, which then so prokaryotes with no nucleus, yeah, no, yeah, basically no. a cell membrane with some stuff in it, yeah. some stuff inside it and some stuff out of it. Free stuff, <laughs> things in there, no particular organelles. We're eukaryotes, we've engulfed possible pure pro other prokaryotes. But that's the thing, so the eukaryote must be formed and a nucleus must have formed somehow. 
Yes, uh, a eukaryote would have come after the prokaryote. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the prokaryotes uh, archaea and then eukaryotes, and we are part of the eukaryotic family. We are carbon-based life and we are related to anything that uses mm. carbon as its original structure. You and I relate to trees. We might be distant, very distantly <laughs> related and we have diverged along the evolutionary pathway, but we are still related. But how? How does that happen? That's one of the things we... Well, uh, the how is very interesting, um, but before even going back, we are the lucky ones. This is how you always have to try and think about it. We are the fortunate ones. Because when life was originally starting and oxygen was being consumed, because there wasn't any oxygen, we were like, aware of how the planet Yeah, forms. we've got planet being formed with gravity. We've got, I don't know what's on the planet, I suppose. Yeah, uh, possible water, very acidic conditions, not very hostile. Methane atmosphere. Yeah, wouldn't yeah. be suitable for life. But these tiny little uh, prokaryotes who are able to thrive in that environment, some by luck, some by chance, and then one day one of them started producing oxygen as a byproduct. But in anaerobic conditions, which are conditions without oxygen, if you start producing oxygen, you kill off. Must be from carbon dioxide. Yeah, it would, would have been, yeah, would have had to have been from carbon dioxide. But if it takes in the carbon dioxide and starts producing oxygen as a byproduct, which then changes the atmospheric composition. Which is the start of uh, algae and plant cells. Yeah, way, way, way back. Yeah. Very, very, Which very generates our oxygen atmosphere. Yeah. Starting to get a sense of a, a chicken in the egg scenario <laughs> here with CO2 and oxygen. <laughs> chasing, uh, chasing carbon, that is all that life is. We're just chasing carbon. Well, Which is an energy uh, consideration, isn't it? Because once you've got oxygen, does that mean we can get cells that can do more because they've got, they can use fuel more efficiently? Um, yes and no, because not all cells will use oxygen the same way. I mean, we still know anaerobic respiration is still something that we... Yeah, yeah but still using oxygen generates more energy than not using oxygen. Yeah, but is that the one that was fortunate enough to evolve that pathway? Uh, so it's, it's, was it by choice or by design? Was it, is it by something that happened to be more beneficial or something else, which is the craziness of trying to... Well, sadly, we didn't have any cameras back in any way of recording any of this. Because it would be very interesting. No, but I'm just got, as interested if in... If you've got a non-oxygen atmosphere, and then these plant cells, algae cells, start generating oxygen, then something else comes along and uses the oxygen. Yeah, um, so something else would use the... So your original primary producer, um, so algae, cyanobacteria, and things that could produce oxygen, and then something else somewhere along the way decided it was easier to eat the cell that was producing the energy rather than produce its own energy. And, and there was a free a freestanding chloroplast, or what would be probably a very basic chloroplast, and it saw the freestanding cell, and the cell theory says it engulfed that and took the organelle into itself, and then in a symbiotic way, it was beneficial for that organelle to have the chloroplast, much way the same way that it was beneficial for cells to have mitochondria, the powerhouses of the cells, rather than trying to fight yeah. the own energy, producing the energy. A little bit into semantics here, because we were talking about gravity, and gravity isn't a force. It, what do you say? How does uh, it a field. A field. It's a, a region in which a mass will experience a force. Yeah, so we don't directly, but although it's it's a simplification to say it, but it similarly our language isn't it decided to or wanted to. It kind of anthropomorphizes yeah, things, yeah. doesn't it? But yeah, when actually it just it happens. It didn't decide to happen, I suppose it happens and it benefited and then it kept going, I suppose. It's yeah. quite a difficult one, isn't it? Because we always tend to anthropomorphize uh, things, give human or animal characteristics to things. Yeah. 
Yeah, like cold turkey. Have you ever seen a cold turkey? <laughs> <laughs> it was actually.